0: Welcome to Getting to Nimble. I'm Sarah Barisa, a writer and musician.
1: And I'm Bill Smoots, a pastor. Join us on the first and third Tuesdays as we explore how to survive and thrive in the 21st century church. And
0: today we are taking a temperature reading of where we are right now. We're actually recording this in the morning and you're going to get to have this in the afternoon. So we're talking about how we are right now. And that means we're talking about where our churches are in terms of opening, not opening. We are talking about where our emotions are and aren't. And importantly, we are talking about how we too, as two very white people from the Midwest, are working as anti racists doing anti-racist work in our church communities.
1: Before we get into all that, a little bit more about the two of us. Uh, I have Between the two of us, we've ministered in churches for over 50 years. Uh, my work has primarily been in Presbyterian USA congregations, uh, rural, large, small, urban, suburban, uh, and uh, of late, I've been working in UCC congregations, United Church of Christ, as an intentional interim transitional pastor.
0: And as a musician, I have worked all over the denominational spectrum. And as a writer, I work on resources for churches on my blog, and am working on a book for people who work in churches as well. So here we are. And And when is that book coming out, Sarah? Well, I have a baby coming out in August. <laughs> <laughs> So this draft well, better be done before then. We
1: just wanted to build anticipation.
0: <laughs> my my, uh, my contract doesn't have until next spring, but I've done this whole baby gig before, and I'm like, I don't really want to be that creative when I have a newborn. So I am in high gear of writing right now. That's what we're going to do, actually. That's what I'm going to do, actually, after I finish. It's I've got, got all my notes here. I finished typing things yesterday, and now I get to turn the blurbs into a really terrible first draft. Um, <laughs> nothing like having an impending childbirth to really light the fire under your butt
1: deadlines um are the way the holy spirit speaks to us I
0: yeah and this isn't like a artificial deadline this is a like it's coming whether I want it or not. <laughs> behold you know not the hour that kind of thing yep. i keep yep. on thinking like well i know what my due date is but like I could have a baby a month before that and it wouldn't be actually that surprising. And Oh, that's all guys. That's only in six weeks. Ooh. I sure that's hope tough. it's 10 weeks from now, not six weeks from now, but if it were only six weeks, ah, so, so there's my emotional reading Uh, if we're, if we're talking temperature readings um, uh, emotion wise. I'm having that like panic in the good way of, Ooh, I have a lot to get done before now and then. And also the feeling of like, so planning, ha ha, ha maternity leave. And I've actually given myself in, in conjunction with other people that I work with, I'm I'm giving myself until the end of June to just wait. Cause, you know, maternity leave is not gonna look like what I planned so nicely and neatly back in January. And at the same time, I don't have enough information to do any good planning right now. So I'm waiting until the end of June, and that's six weeks before I'm due, and I'm gonna have to make some decisions at that point. So, and that stresses me out because I'm a planner.
1: You are a planner. Say more about the kind of planning you want to be doing.
0: Well, I am not 100% sure what being in the church or not being in the church for life services is going to be. We have our first soft open um, in the middle of June. We're going to have a small evening service outside. And just so everyone knows context, I'm in St. Louis, which has a fairly low... um, We have not run out of ICU beds, that kind of thing. And St. Louis City, St. Louis County um, had eight, nine weeks, I think, of shutdown. And now we're in phase one of reopening. So like in terms of the church opening, like this seems like a reasonable time to start. But in terms of are we going to have a Sunday morning service with an organist? Maybe that will be happening in August and September. Will we have a Sunday morning service with musicians, including vocalists? I don't know. And so what that means for me in terms of planning, well, I mean I could plan two anthems and an intro and a benediction and 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 but you know is that, re- <laughs> is that really really likely? No, no that's not likely at all. And so in terms of that hard like that really detail work, um it's just having to wait and I'm having to be okay with that because I could really work myself into a tizzy over this and I just can't cuz I I do not have the crystal ball and I don't know what's going to happen. Related to that though, is that um, the churches where I work, the church's live stream was a terrible setup. Previously we've moved to pre-recorded online services, which generally work really, really well, but what that's going to, we're now currently working on technology to really up the live stream, but to get that into the sanctuary, to get that installed, to get all the staff people trained on that, you know, that's like a two month process. So but, you know, there's also that factor in there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I get it. We're we're planning to um, go to live stream when we can get back in the sanctuary. Uh, luckily, we have the equipment in place, and we have volunteers who have been using their time away. I guess one's retired, but to take online courses to learn how to do this better, bless them. Um, and we know we'll live stream when we're in the sanctuary, but we're still going to put together some kind of other video service, whether that's just taking the live stream and shortening it and then putting that out um, on YouTube, um, we don't know. We're, we're, but we know we've got to do it both hand because people have already said, I'm not coming to a service in a sanctuary with other people until there's a vaccine. And so we know they're going to be at home. And, and so, so new normal, better normal, who knows what it's going to look
0: like? Yeah, who, who knows? And I think we're, we all of us are having to think about um, the difference, to me, the difference between live theater performance and movies. And they're just really different mediums that seem similar on the surface, but aren't um, in many key respects. And I think that that's what we're having to think about when we're thinking about a live, a live stream worship service. And how much like live theater are we um, when I think that people in my experience, many people are enjoying something about online worship that has more to do with a movie type experience, where you're getting close-ups of people's faces who are speaking directly to you, which you can't really do as much in a live stream. So there's some kind of philosophical questions of like, well, what do we want that online experience to be like? What are we actually, you know, yes. what is spiritually beneficial here? And I I, I don't I, have the answers to that.
1: I can see ours being a whole separate production. I that that just taking a knockoff from the live stream won't be enough yeah. and that yeah. we'll still need to do um, the services where, where we're all sitting in front of our computer or a camera uh, mm-hmm. really tight on us and, yeah. and talking to folks. I, um, think, but, I think
0: we have so much, like this is not a short-term thing anymore. I think we've all realized like, oh, this is not, people are not going to be back in churches in the way that they were and not for a long time.
1: And I know I need to do some new learning. I I could use to take a production class. Um, I could use some acting classes if I'm going to be talking to a camera uh, and and trying to express things in ways that I haven't been used to. That that because there's it's one thing to do from a pulpit for a large room and a, and another thing to do one on one with the camera. I watch the local news a lot more intentionally now, not even for the content, but just for how the the different people on the newscast are reacting to the camera.
0: So for anyone listening who might possibly uh, be like a, a movie, something consultant, I feel like this is like a great job opportunity. Maybe not that lucrative because churches are not always the place for money, but <laughs> you know, I, I could imagine like your local university, um, you know, the movie production, something type thing. Um.
1: Well, and I can see spending my continuing education money very differently Mm. because I need, if I'm going to continue to do a job, well, I need some training I don't have.
0: Yeah. No, that's a great point. It's a great point. Yeah. Uh. This
1: old dog needs to learn some new tricks.
0: So anything else you want to share? Emotional temperature, where you are, church stuff, all that stuff. Yeah.
1: I'm finding myself tired and, and and I think it has to do with the fact that there's just so much new learning that that is taking place right now i've I've been in parish ministry for over thirty years, and there's just been a particular pattern that that most churches fall into of this is how we help Sunday morning happen, this is what we do during the rest of the week. Um, I have Friday off. Um, and suddenly um, that time frame, all the time frames I've worked on for 30 plus years are out the window. And, and they don't work like they used to. And I'm having to learn new time frames. Uh, as Sarah and I were talking ahead of this, con- the, the recorded conversation, I was saying, I haven't had a Saturday, Sunday off in a week since I graduated from seminary. And so it's so strange to have my work done by end of day on Friday and then have a weekend off it's strange it it's it just disorienting not to be in church with church people on sunday mornings and 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 that disorientation i find is wearing and please don't I, I don't don't take this as whining it's just different and and that's wearing i'm finding that the practice of leadership in the church is very different as well and that as, as the people I work with on staff or the people I serve are struggling emotionally through this lockdown, socially distanced time as well, there are more needs um, for, for from me as a leader to set a tone, to be checking in, to um, make sure that, that, the well-being of other folks is is good in ways that I wouldn't normally have to. There's always some level of that, as a pastor and and in a church working with people, regardless of what position you you serve in a church staff. But it it seems heightened right now, and and so when I say tired, it's it's just a combination of I'm having to learn new things. I'm I'm having to care in ways that I haven't cared. Um, and, and I'm finding myself, I feel very, very thin, like I'm, I'm just stretched and and that I don't have the um, internal resources some days. Um, I'm on vacation this week because last week I realized, oh my gosh, you need some time away or you're going to do something really stupid. Um, you're going to snap at somebody or you're going to let something fall. And, and um, luckily, I've got supportive colleagues that I could hand things off to, and they said yes we'll do that for you so thank you colleagues um, but but I needed that time away so emotionally that's kind of where I am with church um, I, I think we we can't ignore what's going on in our country right now um the 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 death of another african American man in an arrest and and then the resulting um, the, the protest and the chaos and and the I I don't even have words to to describe what's happening nationally at a political level. Um, But, but that has created a a whole nother layer of emotions for, for all of us. Um, Now, as I say that, I realize I have the, the the privilege of saying that as a, as a white male in our culture. Um, And and so I I don't want to assume that, that, the emotions that I'm experiencing equate to folks who are dealing with racism and oppression in ways that I, I can't even begin to grasp. Um, But, but it's what I'm watching ripple through our society. um, It it doesn't leave any stone unturned Um, and and churches are going to have to respond whether they want to or not, or whether they think they need to or not. And and as someone who um, has lifted himself up as a leader in a church, I've got to be working on that response for myself and for inviting the congregation I serve to participate as well.
0: I'm, I'm really there with you. I feel like um, it's an odd time to be ministering the church because we are in some ways so closely connected with people like I feel like I'm doing a lot more communication than I normally would but we're also so far away and in some ways distanced much as I love having a pre-recorded service I recorded recorded my pieces for the service like almost a week ahead of time and so then you get to Sunday and you're like well so we're going to sing breathe on me breath of god that just this is not nope nope <laughs> and you know so I'm like putting up the blurbs of like <laughs> You know, our prayers were recorded way ahead of time, you know, gay being eager, eager beavers, but it, it leaves it, um, it makes things really difficult when you're like, oh, we need to be talking about this. But I think at the same time, like we, like we have these things, horrible things that happen that are, they really shine a spotlight on a problem that's already there. Um, I, I don't think any of us would disagree that there's systemic race, racism in our country and in in the world in general, but especially in especially in our country. And we sometimes we have these spotlight moments and I think they highlight like this ongoing problem. But I, I feel like it seems it seems to me that a lot of times in the circles that I'm in, which are mostly white, mostly mainline, we we oh there's a spotlight, I have to look at it. And we're like, oh squirrel, okay, I'm gonna look here. And then the next distracting thing comes along and and, and we don't take up the work that is to me an always work. I, I think that this is something that we have to be doing all the time. And I'm saying this as a, as a white person who is mostly thinking about like, how do I talk with white and some Asian relatives? Like, how do I always talk with, like, like, how do I do this all the time and not just, you know, I, po- well, I posted my I posted my thing on social media, so I look like a good person, so I look like I'm listening. And, you know, I'm, I'm not judging other people's intent. They know their hearts. That's, that's their business. But I feel like it's really, really easy to do the whole squirrel thing of, oh, I see this shiny thing, and oh, that's horrible, and then move on to the next thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, the thing that I'm most keenly aware of right now is that I need to be listening. And listening doesn't—I don't want that to imply inaction—but um, but I think a large part of the problem these days is that people like me have been talking too long, and 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 in charge of the talking, in charge of the narrative, and and that I need to listen um, and and invite—or well, not invite—listen to other narratives that other people have to offer, so that. Um, our, our narrative can change. Um, and and in, in my listening role, I need to be active in some ways um, in, in serving a, a congregation where there's lots of people like me, uh, look like me, uh, probably think some like me, are even older than I am. Um, I think my responsibility is I need to try and mess with um, imagination a little bit and, 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 and mess with narrative a bit to say, gosh, maybe the narrative that um, we've, we've created or, or tried to live by for so long um, isn't, isn't the right narrative um, or, or there are other narratives that need to be heard. And, and I have to do that. You're right in a way that's long-term, not just, okay, here's the, the thing I need to pound on for this week. Um, but, but need to do that in ways that invite people to hear instead of just turn off and, and be angry and, and, um, and, and go away. And I think that's happened too long in a lot of um, mainline, old-line Protestant churches. Um, well, we know we'll, we'll, we'll make people angry, uh, or we know we'll, we'll turn people off, and so we don't say anything. Um, and, 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 and then it's, but how do we say something that can be heard? Uh, because so often then what we say is, okay, we'll just blow everybody out of the water. I, I don't think that's particularly useful, um, for conversation, but I, I don't want to pretend to have any wisdom here, Sarah. I, I'm, I'm I, I mean, that, not,
0: not that, not that I have, have all, all the wisdom, but I, I'm also in a biracial marriage and I grew up in a biracial household. So I. White, very white person, always you know, perceived that way, um, but have never been in my life colorblind. Yeah, that, that wasn't my, my childhood experience at all. And I'm thinking about, I'm thinking that there are lots of things for us to learn as church leaders from the way that we hopefully do or should approach our interpersonal relationships. I think we all have, you know, cranky uncle so and so who hates black people. You know, we, we have those people in our life, right? Um, I had my grandma who, who passed away a couple of years ago, who, um, was avowedly racist, but would proudly say, but I raised my children to not be, but she was. And, you know, so we have these people in our life. Uh, I think most of us, most of us white people have, have these folks in our lives where we're, we're going to see them at Thanksgiving. We're going to see them. We're in relationship with these people. And at the same time, I think many of us work with children. There are our, our own children, our grandchildren, children in the church. And we think, how do I have an ongoing continual, how do I raise them to be anti-racist? How is that part and parcel of just the same as I want to raise them to be kind and I want to raise them to be loving? I want, you know, all these, all these values that we want to raise in our children, our grandchildren, our church kids, anti-racism is part of this. And so when I think about like, how do I, as someone who leads in the church, how do I how do I do anti-racism work in the networks that I'm in with the, with the people who will listen to me, particularly me individually. I'm also thinking about like, well, what do I do when I'm talking to relatives? What do I do when I'm talking with my son and thinking like, well, what lessons can I be learning from that? I think that this is something that I've been practicing, like on that familial level for a long time. Yay, racist relatives. (laughs) Um, but, but I, but I want to share two things that I'm thinking about because I think that they're really helpful just, you know, from my own interpersonal experience. And one is starting the conversation by expressing my ground line belief that we're all racist. And it totally, in my experience, diffuses the whole, like, well, how, how could you think I'm racist? I'm not a bad person because I say, well, of course I'm racist because I don't love my neighbor as I should. I don't see my, my neighbors and think that's God's image. And when I put that, I mean, for one, I'm so using the language of Christianity. I, it is a tool right here, but I'm like, you know, this is, this is what I firmly believe that all of, all of my neighbors are made in the image of God. And I have a hard time seeing all my neighbors as made in the image of God and especially people who don't look like me. Right. And so when I, in conversation with my relatives can, can start, can just, you know, Say well well, of course, I'm racist, of course I make mistakes, of course, I do horrible things, you know like like and not in the course of like not in the sense of oh well, so that's okay, but when I say I make mistakes, I have this problem, it really diffuses other folks' reaction of well, I'm not a bad person because i'm mm-hmm. saying, well mm-hmm. we're we're all like this this is this is humankind, we don't love our neighbor as ourself we we don't, and that's that's the project of our lifetime is to learn how to love our neighbor ourselves. Let's talk about it in this specific case. Let's specifically talk about it in the context of racism and, and, and anti-racism. So there's like that piece where I, th- and, and I'm, I'm, I, I don't have any good answers for how to do this in church, but I think, well, there's, you know, we're in relationship with all the people that we are in contact with in church. There, there's gotta be some connections here. And I think alongside of with alongside of this, is thinking about how do we be in continual conversation and not I did my one-off thing. I did my, well, it's February. So I did my, I mean, in my choral conductor case, I did my black Anthem. <laughs> like, and I, and I see folks do that. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's a baby step. That's a baby step. But oh my goodness, that's such a tiny baby step. How do we do this all the time? How do we make anti-racism part of our, our fabric of doing the work of ministry I think about this in my family terms. And I think that there's a lot of room for us to use a similar mindset. How do we think about this in the church? We're talking with people that we're in relationship with, right? We're all in relationship with each other in our individual congregations. Mm -hmm. How And we oftentimes disagree with each other in our individual conversations. How do we, in those spaces, have the conversations that we, I believe we white people should be having with each other? This is not not my black neighbor's job to convince, you know, grandma so and so to not be so racist like that's not their job. That's my job, you know? That's 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 God's gift to me to be doing this. And so when I think working in predominantly white churches, that's my job to normalize, you know, women composers. That's that's one big thing for me. But you know, it's my job to normalize being anti-racist, acting in anti-racist ways throughout the church. That's 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 on me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I think the the honesty uh, of of yourself the the self honesty that you're talking about exhibiting in in it, it's it's who you are it invites other people to consider similar honesty about themselves mm-hmm. and and that um, that's pretty challenging uh, and and pretty significant for us to be honest about ourselves to us for us to consider Different narratives about ourselves, and and particularly for um, people who have by and large known a lot of white privilege um, in their lives, to to consider different narratives um, is is a huge step, mm-hmm. and, and 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 you know no soccer trophies here, no medals, no no none of that, but but it, it's it's beginning to to crawl out of the myth, um, that you've been raised in, um, the, the narrative that was woven, uh, about you before you were even born, um, and, and is so part of your identity that you're, you, you can't even imagine yourself without it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I think as, as leaders, us trying to be honest with where we are in that struggle is, is an important model. Um, mm-hmm. It's not everything. Um, there's, there's so much that needs to happen right now that it's, it's almost overwhelming. Um, how, how, how can it all be done? How can it all be done quickly? Um, I, I love the, the passion that I see of those young people on the streets saying, we need change now, and we do need change now. Um, but I also know that I work with a lot of people for whom change now is, is just something they can't even conceive because they've lived a particular way for the 70 or 80 or 90 years of their life. And, and if, if I'm going to be engaged in conversation with them as well, it, it's got to be in a very different way than just it all has to be done now.
0: You know, I think we really have to think about who our quote unquote audience is here. Um, Yes, on one hand, I want change now. Yes. And on the other hand, I mean, like we, it's getting, the Getting to Nimble podcast, we're always talking about how churches just hate change, right? (laughs) Which, by the way, coming, coming your way in two weeks, an episode on change making, um, once again. Um, But I think that we, again, speaking like we're two white people ministering in mostly white congregations, I think it's our job to be thinking about like, okay, well, how do I talk about this kind of change to folks who are like, what do you mean you're going to change the hymnal? (laughs) You know, or like, whatever, what do you mean? We're using a different Bible translation. What do you mean the committee moved to a different night of the week? (laughs) You know, like change that is, that is not about, um, at least as I see it, not about personal identity. Like, you know, this is the, this is not, not everybody that we minister to. In fact, I, I think like, um, in many ways, I I don't actually minister in this, this kind of a congregation, but I I think that we all have to be aware that change is hard. And we like Bill and I are in a place where, how do we minister to these people? How do we help affect change in the leadership area that we have? How do we make those changes? How do we help people to even see that they need to make changes that we together need to make changes?
1: And, And at some level, for us, I, I think that kind of changes is a relational. It has a relational component to it. Mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that yeah, that's why
0: I'm bringing up like like family Thanksgiving dinner, like that type of thing. Like you got to be willing to have those hard, sometimes uncomfortable conversations at Thanksgiving if you're going to be even able to do that in church. I, I, I think.
1: Yeah, well, and you got to have those hard conversations at a at a session table or a council table or or mm-hmm. um, in in talk over a donut on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and those, we could
0: talk over a donut on Sunday morning. I look forward uh, to it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and, and those are never simple conversations and um, they can happen most effectively when, when people have value one another, trust each other, have been in a relationship long enough um, that, that they can, they can have a hard conversation and know that that alone is not going to break the relationship. Uh-huh. And, and uh-huh. sadly, one of the, the realities of the time in which we live is, is that um, there are a lot of voices out there saying, you know, be part of my tribe or, or I'm not going to talk to you. Uh-huh. Um, be, be part of my, my group or, or you're, you're dead to me. Um, uh-huh. And uh, we, we, we've got to break that down. Uh, we've got to see that as sinful as well. If, if we ever hope to make any, ha- have any effect on, on conversations of, of race or justice or, or economic uh, equity, all those all those important, important conversations, um, there's so many impediments to them. Uh, and and uh, it's, it's so easy to say, yeah, I don't want to work that hard.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because it is hard and we make mistakes and we screw it up. Yeah. We do.
1: We do, and and it's so easy to say I'm tired of that, and mm-hmm. and, and I don't want to. It's, I don't it's so easy for that.
0: us. You want to talk about privilege? It's so easy for us to go like I don't have to talk about that, because yeah. guess what? We don't have to.
1: Yeah. Well, there's another Sunday in the church year coming up. There's another crisis mm-hmm. du jour that um, yeah. Is, squirrel. Is, another thing. Squirrel. Yeah. everybody's attention and and so so, but but as leaders, we are invited to, to help keep focus. And and work on um, I think primary issues. Mm-hmm. And um
0: neighbor is pretty primary.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, the sense that we're all created in the image of God is one of the most powerful metaphors scripture offers us. Mm-hmm. And, and and if we can begin there, um, if if we begin a s with a sense that that um, we are all in the image of God. Um, and, and, and then I like to add, and and God's goodness is the deepest thing inside of us. Um,
0: I love hearing a Presbyterian say that.
1: (laughs) Then that, yeah, I know Calvin's rolling in his grave somewhere as I say that, but, but that's okay. Um, if we can begin there, then we start to see things very differently. Um, and, and that, um, and, and, and we can begin to entertain different conversations and, and, and maybe we can begin to close our mouths and listen better. Um, I,
0: Bill, I think there's this undercurrent here about normalizing and hearing you talk about loving our neighbor. Like that's a pretty basic normal tenant in the church. That's something that we have in common. That's across Christianity. We should love our neighbors. Also, this is hard to do, right? That's pretty basic. We sh- should basically, I'll be able to agree on that. And I think that the kind of anti-racist work that we're talking about is, is based on that shared tenant, right? So like we've got something in common with the folks that we're talking with, the folks that we're ministering with. And by having, con- having this as like a continual it's in the water type of thing, I think that, I think that there's a really powerful thing of, of normalizing that can go on. Like this is a normal thing to talk about. Um, I sometimes wonder... I'm in my thirties and sometimes I talk with folks who are older than me and I get this sense. Sometimes I talk with folks that are older than me. Not, not usually Um, just sometimes.
1: You talk to me, Sarah. (laughs)
0: Um, But I think that, I think that there's something about um, like taboo topics. And I feel like race is maybe a taboo topic for people who are older than me more so than it is for people in my generation. Maybe that just, just could be my experience. Um, I, I don't think of it as a taboo topic. Again, I, I grew up in a different household to have a different marriage than a lot of people, but I think that I think that sometimes instead of normalizing, we show off. Like, oh look, I did this good thing. You know, you mentioned the soccer trophy; I get a prize for this, right? <laughs> um, I did something good, yeah. Um, and in the age of social media, it's really easy um, to like. You know, are they showing off? Are they? Uh? Um, I'm I'm saying we're recording this on an election day, and I posted a picture of myself this morning. Yay, I voted. Um, and my intent is, hey, I want this to be a totally normal thing for people to go vote in municipal elections. I didn't used to. It was not a normal thing for me. And then I saw other people doing it and I was like, oh, is that like a thing people do who are like under 70? Oh, okay. I guess I should vote too. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I want to normalize this. Like this I think is a great thing to normalize. And I feel like the same thing can happen should be happening with anti-racist work, which is that like we should be normalizing. We can normalize. We have so Mm -hmm. much, we have so much voice. I think in the church, we we have more voice than we sometimes realize to be, to, to normalize. Like people listen to us a lot of times. They don't always listen to what we're saying and do it for, you know, fine. But you know, people will hear us and we can say like, oh, this is a normal thing to talk about. This is, this is, this is part of, and I think of this in my, you know, in my family, like yesterday I'm walking while my son's practicing his scooter and he's like, let's talk about all the color of the children in the class and how they compare to my skin. Okay. Total normal preschool thing to talk about. And this is just like in the water. Of course we're going to talk about, of course we're going to talk about how God made our bodies in all these wonderful ways. Great. We can do this in the church too. We can make this a really, really normal. And I, oh, do I want to say safe space? But I think for some of our Some folks, we need a safe space for white folks to say really cringy things and have conversations with other white folks about Mm. uh, what's underlying those cringy things. Because I feel like sometimes we're more afraid of saying something that's awkward than the heart behind it. We need to get to the heart that's underneath all of that. Um, And we're in a place, we are, can I get on my soapbox? We are in this place of church leadership where we can make this space for this. We can make this a normal thing to be part of our church conversation, because in so many ways, like we, you know, we, we have this opportunity, we have this space to be making, uh, to, 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 to have these conversations. Oh, you know I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I work in a white church mostly and I'm just like, okay, you know, this is such a place and, and you, you too, Bill, we're in, we're in mostly white churches. We're in the main line. And we can have these conversations. We should be having these conversations.
1: As as we were talking before we turned the microphone on, Sarah, um, you, you talked about what are the things that have to change in this time where everything's changing? What are, what are are the things that aren't going to be the same? What do we need to help not be the same as, as we, as we look for that new normal, um, and, 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 uh, or, or better normal. I, I like to steal that phrase from Katie Kirk. How do we make our new normal a better normal? Um, so, 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 so maybe, um, there are pieces of the narrative that need to be different when we get back together in our sanctuaries. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there, and and maybe those pieces of narrative need to begin changing even now when our services are online. Um, and, and um, I I wish I could say it it needs to look exactly like this, but my context is different from your context is different from anyone else's context, but wherever we are, we can be asking that question about what needs to be different Mm -hmm. and how, how do we as a church leader help um, the church move in the direction of the difference it needs? Mm
0: -hmm. And even how do we start it now while we're still, Still living in this online space. Maybe there are ways for us yeah. to start even mm-hmm. now. I, I, and I say maybe kind of rhetorically. There there are ways.
1: Well, and and, and as the brokenness of, of the rioting each evening uh, of the last week and how widespread it is shows, this isn't just a, um, a conversation we can wish away or that's going to go away on its own or, or that we can roll over with tanks um, oh, God, because no. it is... Too, it is too important to individuals in this country and 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 in our churches, and therefore too important to us as a whole mm-hmm. um, to yeah. just pretend it's 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 not there.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I wish I had uh, happier thoughts or or um, this is hey, this is here's this, our temperature
0: uh, reading. Here's where we are right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and we hope where you are. Um, that you're struggling with hard questions, but you're also working on keeping yourself together uh, so that you can help the people you serve struggle with those hard questions mm-hmm. as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't so. have said it better, Bill. That's it for this week's installment of Getting to Nimble. Look for new episodes on the first and third Tuesdays of the month.
1: You can always find our show notes at Sarah dash bariza b-e-r-e-z-a dot com uh, it's a great website folks go there there's lots of resources besides just our show notes and if you're enjoying the show we hope that you'll uh share it and invite your your friends uh your ministry buddies your friends in the wider church to um to join in and listen and become part of the conversation
0: i'm sarah bariza
1: and i'm bill Smoots.
0: until next time keep it nimble
1: but keep it legal